Hello and welcome to this special post-results day episode of STEM Insights. This episode, Sarah Longshaw, Network Education Lead for Science at STEM Learning, and Chris Hillage, Trust Lead for STEM across the Challenge Academy Trust, will discuss the impact of the COVID pandemic on the run-up to this cohort's final assessments, differing approaches to the 2023 exam season, and planning implications for teachers, heads of subjects, and trust leads for the coming academic year. Good afternoon, Chris, and thank you for taking the time to join us on what is still officially for many the uh, the summer break, um, although I'm not sure how much summer we've actually had this year. Uh, no problem at all, yeah, it's pretty miserable outside, so yeah, better off, better off indoors, I think, today. Absolutely. Um, I thought it might be good to start by reflecting on the journeys of the students who collected their results this summer. Um, and so if we think about our A-level and post-16 students, they would have been in year 10 when the pandemic hit. And so this year has been their first experience of external exams. And the year 11s who've just collected their GCSEs and other vocational qualifications, they were just in year eight. So still at the very start of their secondary science careers. And in addition, we know that absence rates have um, been higher since the pandemic and that this year, for example, we've had two additional bank holidays. So they've not had what one might have thought of as a normal experience at all. So my first question, Chris, is about the students and how they approach the exams and any additional help that they might have needed. Was there anything you did differently this year? Um. I think there were lots of things that we did differently, to be honest, because it was as a trust leader, it's about supporting the teachers and the subject leads across the trust as well. So I think that, um, you know, there were a lot of unknowns, known unknowns and unknown knowns. If that's, uh, I'm not sure I've uh, paraphrased that correctly, but um, so there was a lot of um, a lot of subject leads and teachers who weren't as confident about predicting grades and we saw some of that in terms of accuracy predictions come through in, in, in results at both A level and the GCSE. Um, and I think so in terms of supporting teachers and in, ter in terms of su su supporting subject leads, it was mainly around kind of making sure, reassuring that they were doing the, the right things, that they were kind of um, using the curriculum documentation, assessment documentation, documentation well. Um, but in terms of students within the trust, obviously they've had a, a kind of very, um, very interrupted journey throughout uh, the last kind of four or five years, well, four years. Um, you know, if we look at year 10, uh, year 11, we've just sat the GCSEs, I think they were year eight uh, when the first pandemic started and, and we went into lockdown. And if you think about key stage three as kind of building the base of a strong curriculum, um that was very much interrupted and and a number of our schools are also in, in um, areas of social economic deprivation um as you mentioned in your in your introduction uh, absence rates uh, particularly affected schools with high levels of uh, disadvantage i saw a statistic today in the test that said that um 40 percent of disadvantaged pupils uh, are persistent absence at the moment which is you know incredibly worrying statistic uh, and if that's the journey that many of our students have taken to get them to that point of, of year 11 and the GCSE exams you know it would be naive to suggest that there haven't been some major impacts on their performance and, and, and achieving their potential I think one of the things that we saw within schools was um, 
pupils needed more support. They were very unsure about what it was that they were facing, both, you know, for both our A-levels and our GCSE students. Um, you know, as you, as you mentioned, A-levels, uh, our A-level students or post-16 haven't sat to formal exams. So, you know, it was their first experience of that. Normally, you know, it builds up as they go through year 11, sit those formal exams, go through uh, A-level or post-16 and then sit another series of formal exams. They've had some experience, but but this group haven't. So it was a lot more reassuring. Uh, we definitely did see more in terms of um, pupils who are anxious anxious to the point where it was affecting their attendance, anxious to the point where it was affecting their mental health. We saw a lot more in terms of um, pupils needing mental health support that we've seen, that I've ever seen in, in 20 years. Um, we, um, uh, we we had a lot more involvement. We, we had to kind of involve parents a lot more along these journeys because we needed their support in making sure that the, that the children and our pupils were, were ready and prepared to, to sit those exams um, even to the point of, I know that several of our schools use the school minibuses to, to, you know, pick children up on the morning of the exams, just to get them across the threshold of the door to get them out and, and into the exam hall, uh, which was wasn't easy for a lot of our students. Um, so yeah, a lot of things are very different this time. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because you tend to think about things, you know, you mentioned about the teachers needing more support with predicting grades and also, you know, all of those those areas, the things that you might have expected. But then we're thinking about students needing more support, you know, because of their anxiety. And that's not necessarily an area that teachers, you know, certainly I don't think I ever had training in that when I was, uh, you know, sort of uh, going through my PGCE years ago um, and you know it is so different isn't it and and I think that leads us nicely into to my next question really and that's around how the students found the exams their experience of of actually sitting them rather than the content of them so you mentioned um, a number of things in terms of getting them in and things like that but I think the timings and the spacing of exams were somewhat different so bigger gaps between you know um, the same subject this year what what sort of differences did you notice around that? Um, I mean one of the differences that we did see was the exam season was uh, compressed more than it was the previous year, even though, like you say, um, two exams from the same subject were spaced out so that should a child be affected by uh, COVID, then they're less likely to impact on both their, uh, both their exams or all three of their exams, depending on, on, on what course they were sitting. Um, so it, we know that, for example, after the, the half term, some of the students had very kind of congested exam timetables. They were very, very busy. It was morning and afternoon for several days, days a week, uh, which took, um, you know, took a toll on the students. They, they were tired. They were extremely tired by the end of it. Um, I think one of the jobs of teachers, as, as you mentioned before, in terms of managing anxiety, all students have, have uh, exam stress. You know, even the most laid back student will, will start to kind of uh, feel that pressure. And that's absolutely normal. That doesn't mean it's anxiety that's going to impact on the performance. But there were, in, you know, there were a much uh, large number of students who did have um, issues that they that we needed to support them with. And as you say rightly, um, teachers, it's it's not necessarily as a role as a physics teacher, for example, to to be an expert in in supporting someone through a mental health um, 
episode crisis, whatever you want to call it, but the school as a whole, in terms of its pastoral responsibility, does have to do that. Uh, and, and, you know, we saw really good practice from our teachers in the way they've adapted over the last couple of years to, to be able to deal with that and support students in a much better way, knowing that emotional intelligence, if you will, of knowing when to kind of put the pressure on you. You know, you've uh, lots of us have taught in the classrooms. We know that we have to treat students differently. With some, you can kind of turn the screw and put the pressure on, and some you've kind of got to alleviate that pressure from. So teachers have done a fantastic job in terms of managing the students, especially when you know when they're in front of them. It's a lot easier to manage children when they're when they're actually in the in the classroom or the lab. Um, so that, that was a big difference. Uh, and as I, as I said before, the compressed exam window was uh, was a challenge, uh, put a lot of pressure onto students, not particularly sure um, there's kind of advantages and disadvantages with that. But um, as with any, as any scientist would tell, you can change too many variables at once. It's hard to spot the, yeah, the thing that's making the difference, isn't it? Uh, so uh, yeah, there are a number of things. I think in, in some ways, uh, the DfE in terms of England have, have rushed to go back to this sense of normality perhaps a little bit too quickly uh, and I think we've seen perhaps English students being disadvantaged slightly in terms of outcomes and attainment uh, as compared to pupils in um, you know Scotland and Wales which doesn't perhaps make as much difference at GCSE but it does at A level it makes a bigger difference at A level because they're competing for the same university places or the same apprenticeship places or you know whatever it is that the next step steps post um, six form or college are so yeah it's been uh, it's been interesting yeah absolutely and 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 I totally agree and I've I've read you know quite a lot around you know have we rushed back too too quickly and I think you know the compression and also the the fact that the subjects were sort of spaced out that has almost made it harder for students as well because you're having to keep more things in your head um you know previously you could sort of tick that one off or you could focus on that particular subject knowing that that was going to be finished but I think you know having that and as you know as, as teachers we know the impact of cognitive load on our students as well so yeah, so lots and lots. And I think on, on teachers, too, because I think, you know, you want to be there, don't you, while you're supporting your students. So there's that sort of additional readiness and, and requirement from teachers, too. Um, I've seen comments this year about pupils seeming less concerned in the overall scheme of things about their results, not that the results don't matter, but almost that they've got a better sense of perspective. Have you noticed anything um, amongst your students? Um, I'm not sure I have, to be honest. I think we've perhaps seen, and we've seen that reflected in things like attendance, number of complaints at schools. We've seen perhaps a little bit of a shift, societal shift in uh, attitudes to education and schooling. Um, you know, you look at things around, um, in school time holidays, um, and you'll you know you'll 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 meet that common complaint. Well, my child had twenty weeks off in uh, in twenty twenty one. Now on three days off for a family wedding. What's what's the problem? Kind of thing. So I think we have seen a shift in in perhaps societal attitude to education. The vast majority though are kind of of our pupils and our parents and all our stakeholders uh, are extremely kind of supportive of schools, supportive of the children, want the children to do well and achieve. Um, whatever whatever that achievement looks like for the individual child, I think it's you know it's important to remember that 
you know, one of the things that I have seen this time in the media is uh, more of a spotlight shone on the fact that this forgotten third, the fact that if we are looking at maybe 60, 70% pass rates, um, then that leaves up to a third of children who have effectively, whether you like the language or not, effectively failed. And, you know, neither our children nor our uh, parents and, and carers are, are daft. If, you are, if you're calling a four a pass and a five a strong pass, if you don't reach that level, then effectively, um, you know, you, you failed. And I, I do wonder whether that will be, you know, we're, we're probably sitting here now and looking forward at a time of change in education over the next three or four years, I would imagine. Uh, what that looks like yet is still to be kind of, um, still to be seen. But I think that, I think that is something that perhaps needs addressing that, you know, if we're effectively telling a third of children that they've failed at 16, one, it's a pretty poor indictment and reflection on, on education system as a whole, but also what does it do for that child in terms of, um, you know, their next steps and their, their self-image in terms of where they go. So I think um, I would say just to go back to the original question, I haven't seen a, uh, a more relaxed um, uh, attitude towards exams or, the, or their outcomes or taking those into kind of in the strider and uh, keeping them in perspective. Um, but what I have seen is, is that kind of, uh, is that shift in um, how we view success in schools, basically. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And it, it is interesting, isn't it? There seems to have been more celebration of a wider, you know, range of attainment this year. And I think also it potentially is, is more significant where people don't know the student moving forward. So if you've got, you know, year 11 students, um, and they're going on to sixth form within your own sort of settings, then you're going to have a greater awareness. So perhaps there is that that better understanding of, you know, how the results might vary. Um, and I think also that that perhaps, as you say, there's a slightly different attitude amongst the wider sort of sort of support area and, and parents as well. And pupils in in perhaps having alternative routes or you know have thought about actually what is more realistic given the current constraints so perhaps also a greater understanding of why the results might be varying this year as well so I think perhaps it's it as you say it is a bigger picture and and one that we need to consider because you know we're not all the same and and, and nor should we be so mm. yeah absolutely it'll be an interesting uh, next few years I think. Which brings us on to, to looking ahead to next year. And and obviously, um, this is the sort of time, isn't it, where you're you're looking and you're reflecting and you're you're thinking about how you're going to use, you know, the, the current outcomes to inform next year's planning. So um that's really my question. What 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 are the sort of takeaways for you or what will you be doing to you know move things forward next year? Um I think you know, September is often like school teachers new year's resolutions isn't it in many ways a fresh start fresh cohorts of children uh, and you start to look forward to uh, and think about when you've had you know you get the first few weeks there's some holidays it's kind of decompression and then you start to kind of think about and formulate your plans for next year whether you're a classroom teacher whether you're a subject lead whether you're a head teacher whatever your role is i think that's probably true so i think in terms of the looking forward to, to the next kind of academic year 
as a as a trust lead, I think it's a matter of um, looking at the changes that occur within departments, uh, because obviously you get staff turnover, you get new heads of uh, heads of department, um, always got different strengths and weaknesses, different kind of areas to work on. So I think it's supporting our subject leads, whether they be at primary or secondary. Um, but I think continuing the work that we've done on curriculum is probably the is, is what our main focus will be. We've done you know for the last several years. Uh, as we know, curriculum has been king, but I think it's been a really positive development in terms of uh, provision for our, for our pupils. It's kind of strengthened teacher understanding, subject lead understanding of how to how to deliver the curriculum effectively and how to assess the curriculum effectively. So it's continuing that. We've done a lot of work on that. I think, um, you know, to get into the kind of uh, minutiae, kind of things like the, the, the relationship between... Um, um, the different types of knowledge within the curriculum and how they fit together. I think that's probably something else that we, we started work on and uh, we're working across the trust. I think one of the main focuses for us as a trust this year is um, looking at um, primary provision and making sure that that is uh, effectively equipping our pupils to, to make that progression as they go through, uh, you know, early years foundation stage through to through to year six and uh, and onwards to, to secondary school and making sure that it's, you know, still primary focused, it's still primary orientated, but we're seeing that challenge and that that knowledge being, um, you know, being delivered effectively. You make a really good point there about, you know, looking right back and looking at the curriculum and, and even going back to primary, because I think it's very easy to think that, you know, you focus very much, don't you, on on that particular outcome and, and perhaps that couple of years. But actually, you know, it's it's a journey. And I think it's one that, you know, if it's if the foundations aren't there, then that can cause all sorts of issues. And how many examiners reports have we read that say, you know, key stage three knowledge is not secure? or something like that so it's very tempting to sort of think something needs fixing when as you say actually you know take that step back that bigger picture and, and think about actually are the fundamentals in place um, and and also you know it's interesting you mentioned staffing because obviously that is a massive challenge and that's going to have an impact as well I'm sure on on people's reflections so um, yeah I think you know sometimes it's that you know stop and think before acting too quickly isn't it and and we don't as, as teachers we don't tend to, to look at what we do well um so really interesting to hear you you comment on that i think the um the profession as a whole i think one accusation that could be fairly leveled at it is it, it's been reactive in the past and i think sometimes it's um we've been too quick to jump on um uh, new pedagogical kind of uh, uh, styles or whatever whatever you want to call it but I think um, which is why I, you know a lot of the work we do around curriculum assessments is so kind of um, it, it's it's long form work this isn't something that's come to our it will have a short term impact but as that rolls through that will that will continue to have you know real kind of um, uh, a powerful impact on, on pupil understanding pupil progression teacher understanding uh, and I think that's that's why it's such an important piece of work. Um, and I think also it's that kind of metaphor of a house built on sand, isn't it? You know, if you build a house on sand, you, your foundations are weak. You won't, you, you're unlikely to to build that that strong uh, house, that strong knowledge that you want. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think for us, it's it, it's absolutely key. Uh, and you know, I you know, I also recognise that primary that 
to a certain extent, teachers have to be a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, there's very few, I think the last set of statistics was something like 15% of, of uh, primary science leads had a, um, a, a post 18 scientific qualification. So we've also got to be, uh, you know, um, cognizant of that, the fact that uh, there's a, a work of support there to be done. I don't think there's a lack of um, will from primary school teachers. I think it's sometimes it's just that we need to put those tools in their hands to make um, uh, for to allow them to make that progress. And there is some, you know, some fantastic practice. I think additionally, we're quite lucky in our trust, well, not lucky it's as a result of hard work that. Um, all our schools are on good Ofsted gradings, which gives you a little bit of breathing space, to be honest, to be able to, um, you know, sit back and look at the actual things that work rather than having to think about, OK, well, we've got inspectors in in 12 months time. Let's do the short term stuff and, and kind of neglect the long term stuff sometimes. So I think, you know, there's that uh, luxury has afforded us to a certain extent. Um, so, um, yeah, time of reflection. And, and just on that point, then, what would you say is the the biggest difference or the biggest challenge for you in your role as a trust lead rather than, you know, as a head of science who would be perhaps analysing the results in a different way? Um, I think as a trust lead, you kind of, uh, you know, I've been a head, of, was a head of science for many years and it's kind of... Um, you know, you know your teachers inside out, you know your cohorts, you know the profile of your cohorts, you know, um, you know the expectations, uh, you know your school policies and you work within those to, to achieve the absolute best that you can. You can challenge people, you can support with staff that, that need support. I think taking a step back, uh, you've, also, you've, you've got to kind of delegate that those roles to your heads of departments as a trust lead. Um, and I think, you know, all trust leads, uh, sorry, all subject leads have um, different levels of experience, different ways of managing things, and it's working with those uh, subject leads across the schools um, to, to, to make those changes that are going to be most effective for the department. So spending as much time as possible with them, whilst also kind of recognising the, the demands on their time as a middle leader in a school, you know, you get pulled always, you get pulled from, you know, you've still got a big teaching load, you've still got to manage your staff, you're also being pulled towards senior leadership team for reports and etc cetera, etc cetera. so I've, I've also got to be aware of i'd love to spend loads of time working with the subject leads but um you know that we have to just make the most of that limited time that's available to for us to work together thank you i think you're, you're absolutely right i think you know time is the one thing isn't it if we had a magic wand what would teachers want they want more time i think we all would uh, would like that absolutely yeah. um so thank you. I mean, that's been really interesting to sort of reflect on on how things have changed. And, um, you know, as we are heading back to school um, very shortly, I think, you know, I know certainly from my experience, as soon as the results came out to me, that sort of signalled, you know, the end. And you're right that teachers do make resolutions and things like that. And I think, you know, it's it's time to reflect, um, uh, you know, and to celebrate, celebrate the successes, whatever they may look like. Um, and, you know, just uh, look forward to the next academic year. And uh, I hesitate to say it can't be any more challenging because every time I say that, it certainly is. But uh, yes, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully it's a good one. And, uh, you know, no nasty surprises en route. No, and I think you're right about celebrating success. Sometimes um, uh, 
it's almost like a successful football team, isn't it? They win one thing and then immediately the focus goes on to the next thing. And I think one of the things we do have to do in schools and whether you're a teacher or whether you're a subject lead, everything's transient, isn't it? You get these co-ops of children moving through and you kind of, your, your year 11 lead, you don't see those or you see very little of them again. Your year 13s leave and so on and so on. But I think sometimes it's important, you're absolutely right, it's important to um, celebrate, the, celebrate the successes, recognise achievements, recognise kind of um, our ECTs making huge strides. You know, we've had some amazing ECTs uh, that have kind of, um, you know, when there's so much bad press around a career in teaching and when there's kind of a lot of negatives, we have some ECTs who've absolutely kind of um, blown us away this year so that, that it's a really positive step for the future really kind of really good indicator that we have got some fantastic you know young people coming into profession and thanks there to sarah and chris for that enlightening discussion plenty there for all teachers and leaders to think about in the coming days in the run-up to or at the start of our new academic year and finally, a reminder that Series 2 of STEM Insights kicks off next week. STEM Insights is published on the first Monday of every month, and this first episode of the 23-24 series focuses on how CPD can help to develop a knowledge-rich curriculum, and that's with Matt King from Westcliff High School for Girls, and how EYFS Science sets the foundations for future learning. And that's with Jane Winter from the Centre for Industry Education and Collaboration at the University of York. So join us then for more STEM Insights. You have been listening to STEM Insights, a podcast produced by STEM Learning for STEM educators across the United Kingdom. If you have any questions, you can ask them in the STEM community. Simply head over to community.stem.org.uk and join the discussions.